Learning to better manage emotions is a very important part of living the more life Jesus wants you to live. This message is the third in the series, I Will Reset. The message is entitled, Resetting Your Emotions, Part Two. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to continue to talk about today the importance of resetting your emotions, the value of doing that and actually how to do that. Uh, when you and I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord of our life, let's just start at that part of the journey, that day that you invited Jesus into your life, there was a plan of God that began to unfold for you. The first plan that God has for you is to save you, okay, to bring you into his kingdom. And so that's the beginning point. That's the gate. Jesus is the gate into the pathway of God's life. But when you enter into that life of Jesus, there's a great, wonderful plan and purpose for your life. God has a great plan for you, tremendous plan for you. And this is articulated in lots of different places in the Bible, one specifically where Jesus himself said, the thief, the devil, comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come so you may have life and have it to the full. One translation says, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Notice that phrase, more abundantly. I like the phrase more abundantly. That more is so significant because it talks about the life that Jesus wants us to experience. It's a more kind of life. You can have a lot more of a life with Jesus than you'll ever have outside of Jesus. And there's a more abundant life that we learn to experience over time. You never arrive at it. It's an ongoing journey that you have. But for us to experience this more abundant life that Jesus has for us, there are things that we must do. There are cooperative points that we must bring, the decisions that we have to make along the way so that we're doing our part in the journey. And so we're looking at some of those decisions that we have to make. And one of those decisions is the decision to know when and how to reset. I will reset. Say that with me. I will reset. Let me tell you why learning how to reset your life is so important. Because I promise you there are going to be times in your life over your entire Christian experience before you go to heaven, there'll be times that you will get off track. You may think you won't, but there'll be times that you will get off track. And so when you get off track, it's important to reset and get back on track again. Because if you, if you get off track and you don't reset onto the right track, then what happens is you continue a trajectory in the wrong direction, correct? Okay, you get off track here and you don't reset back where you need to be. It's just a matter of time before you're drifting further and further. And so we have to learn how to press that reset button. Very much like you have on your computer, your smartphone, whatever it might be, that when the system's kind of out of whack, you do a reboot, you reset, you get back things back to their original operating system functioning. And so that's what we have to learn to do with God. You're going to do this all throughout your life. It's not going to be a one-time thing. So you need to learn, if you will, the skill, the awareness of when you need to reset and then know how to intervene in your life so that resets happen. Resets happen in a variety of areas. And we're happen, happening to, we're talking about, I should say, these, these two weekends, the reset of your emotions. Last weekend, I started the, the whole idea of how to reset emotions because sometimes your feelings get off track, right? Sometimes your emotions get off track. And so how do you hit that reset button and get them back to where they need to be? And we talked about some principles last weekend. I gave you four of them. I talked about the fact that all of us are responsible for our own emotions. No one else is responsible for your emotions. You are responsible for what you feel. 
Second thing we talked about is that your emotions are connected to your thinking. And thirdly, we talked about how your spiritual life affects your emotions. And then we talked about how exposures and experiences affect emotions. We looked at the story of Elijah. And so if you missed last weekend's message, let me really encourage you to go online at church-redeemer.org and look for, the, for all the downloads for last week's message. You can just download it free and listen to it. Make sure you get part one. Today we're going to look at three more things, right? Three things today that will help us to hit the reset button when our emotions are going off track. The first thing today is this. We must understand that we are responsible for resolving negative emotions in our life. We are responsible for resolving negative emotions. A key part of owning your emotions is to accept the responsibility to resolve the negative ones in your life. It's not enough just to own them. You also have to resolve them. And the word resolve means to deal with successfully. It means that you bring them to resolution so that they are no longer there. Because emotions that you fail to resolve will stay with you quite often. There are a lot of people whose lives are being drained by just a whole pile of emotions that they've never really resolved. And the analogy that I will use from time to time is like having a beach ball that you try to hold underwater. Anybody ever had a beach ball and tried to hold a beach ball underwater before? What happens with the beach ball? It always has pressure. It's always putting pressure. You have to exert energy to keep it underwater. So when you have negative emotions that you're not resolving, that you're carrying around with you, you're using energy to repress them, to suppress them, to keep them down, to try to keep them from dominating your life. But the better thing to do is just to resolve them, okay? To get them out of the way so that they're not there at all. And the good thing, good news is that we can do this. The other factor when it comes to resolving emotions is that if we don't resolve them effectively, we actually set ourselves up for spiritual problems, not just the emotion, but the spiritual element of things. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, where he's talking about one specific emotion. He's talking about the emotion of anger. Let's see what he says about it. Again, here's his words, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Don't sin by letting anger, that's the emotion, anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Notice that, that if we hold on to anger, anger is particularly viral, okay? It's particularly uh, infectious in us. And the Bible says that when we hold on to that and we don't release it or resolve it appropriately, it gives opportunity for the devil to gain advantage in our life. Now, I, I know this is true certainly of anger, but it's true of other emotions as well, not just anger, but you can give places to the adversary in your soul by not resolving things the right way. And God wants to help you to resolve all these things. I'm going to do something this morning I think will be helpful for you. I'm going to walk you through five of the most common emotions that we experience, uh, emotional categories that we experience, and talk about how God helps us to resolve them. And uh, this is a pattern that you can use for other emotions in your life. Let's start by talking about anxiety and fear. Most of us at times experience worry, anxiety. We get afraid about things, and that's normal. It's part of life. We experience it from time to time. But anxiety will eat your lunch. Worry will eat you up. Fear will eat you up terribly. And so if you don't learn how to resolve the anxiety and fear when it comes your way, you're going to get off track. You have to hit the reset button. And there are three things that will help you hit the reset button when you're anxious and afraid. What are those three things on your notes? Faith, prayer, and trust. Say them with me. Faith, 
prayer and trust. So when you're anxious and afraid, you, you lean into, you take advantage of, you exercise faith. That is faith. I believe that God loves me and cares about me. I know he's well able to handle whatever I'm going through in my life. I have this confidence that he's got my future in his hands. This is faith that you exercise in God. And then you turn that faith into a practical expression of prayer. As, a, as Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 will tell us. If you want to write that passage down, for Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs. Don't forget to thank him for his answers. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will surround your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And then we trust him. That's that we give our issues to God. We don't hold on to them ourselves, but we actually give them to God. Believe God. Pray to God, trust in God that he's going to take care of you. That is the antidote, that's the resolve factor for it's the reset button for anxiety and fear. Second of all, anger and resentment. Let's talk about that category for a moment. I want to talk specifically about anger. Anger primarily has three causes in your life. You get angry generally in one of these three situations. Number one, when you're hurt, okay? Hurt produces anger. If you don't resolve the hurt, it's not long before the hurt becomes anger, okay? Uh, And and anytime we're hurt, whether it's emotionally or otherwise, just think even physically. If you're nailing a hammer, you have a hammer, and you're nailing a nail, and you miss the appropriate steel nail, and you hit the other thing called the fingernail, what do you say? I know what you say. You say, hallelujah, praise God, right? (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, right? But generally, there's an anger that oftentimes can come when something hurts us, okay, even physically, okay? But it's true emotionally, and so things that hurt us, whether it's perceived hurt or real hurt, whatever it might be, but we get angry about it. The second thing that causes anger in life are obstacles, okay? Things get in your way, okay? I wanted to be at this place by this time in my life. That person's in my way, or that thing is in my way, or that situation is in my way, so I'm angry about it. I can't get where I want to get, okay? Let's take a practical example of that. It's called traffic, okay, right? When you're in traffic, you're trying to get somewhere and someone pulls in front of you and they're going significantly slower than you are. Uh, There's the tendency, I'm sure, again, to say, thank you, Jesus, praise God, God bless him, okay? Uh, But there's, you know, you know what I'm talking about, okay? The third thing that really causes anger in people is pride, okay? Because pride is you have to be right all the time, okay? And so you're not going to be right all the time. And so pride is, is about you. You put you in the center of your universe. And so uh, that, that there's a tendency. The Bible says only by pride comes contention. And so strife and contention is found in, in places where there's pride, okay, in our lives. So it's important to think of those three things, hurt, obstacles, and pride. Now, when you are angry, how do you press the reset button? What do you do? There are two words there. Read them with me. Forgiveness and release. Circle them on your notes. Forgiveness and release. Those are your reset buttons, okay? So when anger comes up, I'm going to forgive. When that person pulls in front of me on 270 and, I'm, and I'm, I want to go faster than he's allowing me to go, what is my reset button? I got to go back through this whole stuff again, right? Now, what's the reset button? It's forgiveness, right? Okay. It's forgiving him, okay? It's not holding, and again, it's release, okay? When something gets in my way, it's an obstacle, instead of getting mad at the obstacle, I'm going to release that, okay? I'm going to say, God, I trust you with this in my life. You know, sometimes your obstacles are actually your opportunities, okay? It's how God is actually working in your life, so it's important to realize that and to release, to let go, not to retain. See, anger desires to be retained. That's everything that's, that's, anger is designed to be retained and designed to produce retaliation, okay? Anytime you're 
you're angry, you want to hold on to it, you don't want to let go of it, and you certainly want to retaliate toward people that you feel like have made you angry or situations that have made you angry. It's not productive. You have to hit the reset button. Third one is disappointments and loss. Disappointments, when an expectation is what you had, didn't turn out that way. A loss is something that you had held on to, that you loved or held dearly, and it was taken from you in some way. It could be the loss of a loved one. It could have been the loss of a job. It could be the loss of any variety of things in your life. But disappointment and loss always create something called grief, okay? Grief is a part of life. You feel grief. You grieve. That's when we talk about people going through the grieving process. The issue of grief is that the grief is, is good. Grief is not a bad thing. Uh, none of these emotions are in and of themselves necessarily bad, okay? Uh, but the grief can turn bad. It can turn poison if you don't work your way through it. That's why the psalmist David said in the 23rd Psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. David said, even though I walk through the valley, he didn't say, I don't, I don't, I don't live in the valley, I walk through it. And so part of what you have to do when you're grieving over a disappointment or grieving over a loss is you have to come to the place, here's your word to circle, to it, of acceptance, okay? You have to accept what the reality is. There's certain things you can't bring back. They're gone. You have to accept that reality. And in the acceptance comes the resolution of the grief. It's not as though you'll never feel grief about it again, but it helps you to get to that point that you've now accepted that this thing is, is, is gone from my life or this, this disappointment is reality for me to deal with. Okay. The next one is guilt. Guilt is, is, is resolved by confession, repentance, and receiving forgiveness. So when you've either done something wrong or there's lingering false guilt over something that you've done in the past that you don't feel forgiven for, how do you press the reset button on guilt? You go to God with confession. You confess your sins to Him, as the Scripture says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we will confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then we make sure that we have repented. Repentance is not just feeling bad about something. Repentance is changing. Repentance is, I got this. I learned the lesson that I needed to learn from this. I'm, I'm more educated now from God based upon what I've gone through. So repentance is not, I mean, repentance, you might feel bad as a part of the repentance process, but the end result of repentance is, is there's a lesson that you learned, okay? You learned something from it. And you're not going to go back there again. At least you're not going to go back there again willingly and intentionally in your life, okay? And then receiving the forgiveness of God, which also includes forgiving yourself and coming to that place of saying, okay, God, I know that you've forgiven me and now I'm going to accept and receive your forgiveness in my life. The fifth category of emotion that we have to reset frequently is an emotion called discontentment. I believe that we live in a culture of discontentment. We really do. Discontentment is all about, I'm not happy with what I have, okay? If I'm not happy with what I have, I've got to have something else. I have to have something different. I have to have something more over here to make my life rich and meaningful. And so people are always on the search because of the unsettledness inside of them. So discontentment is very, can be very dangerous. That's why the Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. You gain a lot in your life when you learn how to be content. Okay? But the only thing that I've learned in life that helps me battle or reset when I'm discontent is gratitude, okay? When I start focusing back on what I have instead of focusing on what I don't have 
or I feel like I need but don't have, when I focus on what I do have, then suddenly everything begins to change in me. My perspective changes. Again, it's the reset button for my emotions. But you'll never reset your emotions unless you accept responsibility for resolving the negative ones. It is your responsibility when negative emotions show up in your life to say, I've got to do something to resolve this. That is something God will help you. There's no question that God will help you, but that becomes something that you must accept responsibility for and work in regard to. Number two, second main lesson for today. You need to remember that thinking or feeling something doesn't make it true. Do not believe everything you think and don't believe everything you feel. Just because you think something, it does not make it true. Any of you ever had a thought that, that led you off track and it wasn't even true? But the thought got a hold of you in some way and it affected your life in some way, your relationship in some way, or feelings. Have you had your feelings lead you astray before? Everybody's had feelings lead them astray, okay? So you don't believe everything you think or everything you feel. Because as human beings, we are prone to misunderstandings, we're prone to misperceptions, we're prone to wrong judgments, we're prone to faulty, evil imaginations and clouded thinking. We are prone to this stuff, right? Okay? This is kind of, our, kind of a default method that we go into if we're not careful. And this is clearly in Scripture. I want you to see what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 12. Let me set up this passage for you, okay? It's the love chapter where, where Paul talks about what love really is. Love is patient and kind, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then he goes on to talk about how we need to put away childish things and grow up. And then he talks about what life on earth is like compared to what life in heaven is going to be like, all right? And he makes us aware of a very important distinction between life on earth and life in heaven. Now let me read for you verse 12. Now, that is now here on earth, we see things how? Circle the word there, okay? We see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, that's when we get to heaven, we will see everything with perfect clarity, okay? So while we're here on earth, what will our sight be here on earth? Imperfect. When we get to heaven, what will our sight be? Perfect clarity, okay? And then he says this, all that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Paul says, even what I know now is partial. Even what I know now is incomplete. I'm only going to be complete in my thinking when I get to heaven. I'll only be complete then. I can't know everything now. I'm, partial. I'm a partial knower. I'm an incomplete knower now. I see things imperfectly. Let me encourage you today to remember something. If you're a know-it-all, if you think you know it all, let me encourage you to resign your position today. Amen, okay? Go ahead and resign, okay? Because you don't know it all, okay? Nobody does, okay? And, and I will remind you that when, when we think that we know it all, what happens is we start doing something called what we think is mind reading. We, can read, we think we're reading other people's minds. We, we think we know stuff that we really don't know, okay? And, so it's, and it builds all kind of, of, of barriers. It creates all kind of issues for you emotionally. And so to realize that everything I think is not necessarily true, I need to get to the, what real truth is. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, whatever things that are true and lovely and full of virtue and praise, 
let your mind dwell on these things. So make sure that you know things are true. And the best truth you'll ever find is the truth of God's word. Let me tell you one other thing here in John chapter 8. I'm not going to read it for you. You can read it on your own. But the Bible tells us that the devil is a liar. Okay. And what that means for us is this. He likes to come along to our own faulty thinking and lie to us as well. I will tell you, the devil will sidle up beside you and tell you a lie. He'll sidle up beside you and he'll tell you a lie. And if you're not careful, you'll buy into it. And before long, you're thinking in a way that is clouded, that is, that is contrary. It's leading you off track. Hit the reset button and come back to center. The third thing today. It's easier to act your way into a better feeling than it is to feel your way into a better action. I know you're like a little convoluted there. I'm going I'm to go through it again. So just write the words down. And then look this way, if you will. Or actually look at your notes there with me. It's easier to, what's the first word I gave you? Act your way into a better feeling than it is to feel your way into a better action. It's a whole lot easier to get to a feeling through an action than it is to get to an action through a feeling, okay? I'll explain it this way. Let's say that I say to you, you know what? I don't really love you or like you right now, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna work on, I'm hoping my feelings change, and so when I feel like I love you, I'm gonna treat you with love, okay? And so that's a passive approach. We sit back and we say, okay, I, I'm going to wait till I feel something. And when I feel it, then I'll move on it. Okay. When I feel it, then I'll act on it. That's the way most of our world works. Most of our world works from the standpoint of they try to get the feelings before the action. Not going to do what I don't feel. Only going to do it if I feel like doing it. There's the whole idea. And so feelings become dominant. Feelings become pre preeminent in our lives. Okay. And so the better way to approach life is not, is not through the feeling first, but through the action first. Why? Because part of the word emotion is motion, right? There has to be some action. You have to be doing things. If you start doing the right things and moving your life in the right direction, you'll start feeling better, okay? Feelings follow your obedience and your faith, as we'll talk about here in a moment. Listen to what Paul said about this in Romans chapter 12. I could have taken you to a lot of different passages. This just happens to be one that I think does a great job at explaining this whole idea of, 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 of your action versus your feeling. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy or rejoice with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, do what? Feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by feeling good. Is that what it says? No. Your Bible doesn't say that. Let's go back to verse 21. Read it now with me the right way. What does it say? Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil not by feeling good, but by doing good. How do you conquer evil? By 
doing good. It's a, it's a doing thing. Now go back to the first part of this verse. Bless those who persecute you. Let's think about that for a moment. When someone is persecuting you, do you feel like blessing them? If you feel like blessing someone that's persecuting you, you're probably a little bit strange, okay? Because most of us, we don't feel like blessing people that curse us, right? It's not a feeling that we have. That's why God told us, this is what I want you to bless those that persecute you. Because your feelings are going to be telling you to do the opposite. And then he says, pray that God will bless them. I mean, think about this. Do you really want to pray that God would bless your enemies? I mean, do you really feel like praying a prayer like that? I don't know that I've ever felt like praying a prayer like that. I felt like praying a prayer like, God, would you please kill them? I have prayers like that, okay? But I've never felt like praying that prayer. But it doesn't say pray this feeling. It says do it, okay? Bless those who persecute you and pray that God will bless them. Then it says if your enemy is hungry, then what do you do? You're to feed him. That is an action. If they're thirsty, you're to give them something to drink. And so again, all of this is action. And the Bible says in doing this, we, don't, we, we are removing ourselves from being conquered by evil. Instead, we're overcoming evil with good. There are lots of other passages that point to the fact that what you want to do in life is you want to focus yourself, not first and foremost on your feelings, but first and foremost on your actions. Now, there's a screen I'm going to ask them to put up on the up here for us. It's an illustration for you today. I think this will help you understand this. This is the best way to live your life, okay? The best way to live your life is to have the engine of your life. This is a train, obviously. And the best way to live your life is to live it first and foremost with faith in God as the engine. That's what pulls your life. That's where you get your power. If you don't have a relationship with God, you're going to miss the power for your life. If you're here today or in one of our campuses today and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, you've never opened your life to Him, today you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You need to put God first in your life, okay? And faith says, I believe in God. I believe in His Word. I believe what he says, I believe that he cares about me, that my faith is in God, okay, so that's the engine that pulls your life, however, you need to attach something to the engine, and that thing that you, next thing that you attach is what? Obedience, okay, because obedience is where you carry the load in your life, okay, the Bible says faith without works is dead, okay, and so your obedience is what you bring to the table and say, God, these are my actions. I'm going because I believe in your word. I'm going to do what your word says. I'm going to obey your word, even when I don't necessarily understand it. Like this passage, bless those who pray. I don't really understand that, but I'm going to do it anyway. So that's my obedience linked to my faith. And what is the last car on the train there? What is it? Your feelings, okay? And the feelings, that the, and, and what do we know? What's the last car on any train called? The caboose, exactly right, okay? Here's the problem with most people. Most people have their caboose in the front of their life, okay? And they're trying to, and a caboose has no power, okay? A caboose really is not good for much of anything, okay? A few seats on the caboose, that's where the conductor stands at the back and waves at you, okay? It's about all you see with a caboose, all right? So there's not any power in the caboose, all right? So if you try to live your life being pulled by your feelings, you have, there's no power there for your life. And so you have to make sure that faith comes first, 
Obedience is added to it. And then, th then what happens? You don't worry about the feelings. The feelings will appropriately attach themselves to you. And I promise you, that's when we live in faith and obedience. That's when you begin to experience more of the feelings of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, and these kind of things which obviously affect and impact your emotions. Let me say one more thing before I wrap up here today. You're feeling, by the way, even as a Christian believer, you're not going to feel good and feel great every day. Is that a shock to somebody? Okay. The reality is, as a Christian believer, you're going to have your days up and down. There'll be days you'll feel better than other days emotionally. It's just a part of life. It happens, okay? What you want to do is over time, you want to, you want to, you want to uh, diminish the vicissitudes, the ups and downs of those emotions. See, a lot of people, you're living life like, hmm. Okay, that's your life, okay? And so it's like people around you are, are like, which one are they on today, okay? At their top of the mountain or through the bottom of the roller coaster, okay? And so what you want to do over time is you want to diminish the impact of your emotions upon the way that you live. Nobody's going to ever get perfect at this. Uh, it's part of our growth journey. But if you set the faith, the obedience, and the feelings as the priority in your life, it will help you to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. We're grateful for the opportunity that we've had to study together. We pray you'll take this message and apply it to our hearts. We pray that you'll help us, Lord Jesus, to remember these things whenever we find ourselves in need of it. Help us to press the reset button, Lord, in the emotions of our life. And that, Lord, we know that you'll help us to do it. So we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. 
Just go to church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.